this talk actually is birthed out of some feedback that we received from our first library talk on considering PhD programs and what to look for when you do that. Uh, some of the feedback was we didn't have a woman's perspective. And I feel like that's a valid critique of our first talk because women have a different experience, educational experience, at institutions across this country. And so, uh, and they have a different ex educational experience and um, academic experience in different uh, academic institutions across this country. And so we felt like we needed to have this talk to give advice to women who are currently being um, pursuing uh, degrees, whether it's uh, at the collegiate level, master's level, or PhD level, and to give them advice on uh, what it's like to be a woman in academics. So let me introduce our speakers. Uh, on the far uh, end here we have Dr. Adrienne Miles. She is professor of English and linguistics here at Southeastern. She earned a BA and an MA in English from North Carolina State University. Uh, she has a PhD in linguistics from the University of Texas at Austin as well. Um, in the middle we have Dr. Amanda O'Quinn. She is professor of history here. Um, she has a BA from Washita Baptist University in history and political science and an MA and a PhD from the University of Arkansas in history. And then finally we have Dr. Keith Harper, who is a professor of Baptist studies here. He had a BA in theology from Lexington Baptist College, an MA in U.S. history from Murray State University, and a PhD in U.S. history from the University of Kentucky. And uh, I feel like I have to justify a little bit why I have a man here on a talk on women in scholarship. And part of the reason that Dr. Well, I guess the biggest reason that Dr. Harper is here is that he's continuous, continuously been over the years an encouragement to women who have pursued academic um, careers at this school. And I, as someone who wants to be a future um, professor, uh, he's a model for me as a man and how I can encourage women in their academic pursuits. So uh, that's why I have him here. All right, so um, first question. And any of you can jump in at any time to uh, answer this. Uh, but what are some of the questions that women should be asking when looking at institutions to further their education, um, especially if, uh, as women, uh, what, what type of things should they look for? Um, well, I was thinking about this, and I kind of think of it in a couple of different ways, actually. So my education is completely secular. So as I approach that question myself, you know, on the, on the other side of those degrees, especially for graduate school, I was looking for programs that were doing what I was interested in. I was looking for professors that I wanted to work with that were doing work that really appealed to me. That's, that's what I want to do, or that's really close to what I want to do. I want to work with that professor. So that, you know, looking at that um, is very important. <clears throat> but since I've been here and, and been a part of other conversations, I would also add to that, so not just finding the professor or the few professors that are doing the work that you're really interested in that you want to do, um, but finding out how those professors work with women. Do they work with women? Um, have they worked with women? Those sorts of questions. Yeah, I think those are good points. Um, a couple, maybe one or two things I would add. I would point out that my background was uh, secular as well. Thank you. My background was secular as well. So I've never attended. I teach at a seminary, but I've never attended a seminary. Um, we went to a state university. And when I went to graduate school, I was had been worked a year out of college and went to graduate school, met my husband there. So I went to graduate school as a single woman 
not planning not to get married, but I didn't have plans to get married at the time either. Um, and I just didn't really consider that I had questions I needed to ask as a female at that time. I was 22 or 23 and just sort of um, eye on the prize. Um, background, now coming here though at this time, having four children, um, something I might say in hindsight, just to add to what Andrea said, is you might want to consider how they work with women on an individual level and then also on a programmatic level. Um, and this, would, I guess, would go for men and women, but how long is the program? What are the residency requirements? Um, you know, how much time would you have to finish? My first son was born. I was what we call ABD, which most of you know, I'm sure, is all but dissertation. Um, and I remember my advisor just did not look thrilled when I told him that we were expecting our first child because I think he thought, well, there goes that dissertation, right? Um, but I did finish that year. And so I, I don't know how many allowances the program would have been willing to make. And it's different when you're the woman, when you're a mom, right? It's a little bit different. You're the one who's um, with that child, expecting the child the first year of their life. So I would just say that that makes a big difference. You want to consider what the requirements are, how much leeway is given, and how much time do you have to finish, maybe even ABD. So family considerations are big for men and women, but though, in hindsight, that might be a question I would ask that I didn't ask. Well, let's make that three votes for a secular background because <laughs> graduate school for me was a secular experience. But I think there are issues, whenever you're looking for a graduate program, I think there are issues that basically transcend gender. And my colleagues have touched on, on those uh, in, in very uh, close detail. You need a program that your advisor is going to be accessible. Um, lots to consider. Common wisdom in a secular context is you follow the money. Whoever gives you the best deal, that's where you go. That's terrible advice. You can get a very good fellowship from an institution where nobody is interested in what you're doing. So you do need professors that are going to resonate with what you're interested in, but those professors aren't going to do you a, a lot of good if they're not available to work with. I had a colleague at the University of Kentucky with a freshly minted PhD from Penn. So we're at lunch one day and I asked her what her experience was like at Penn and she said it was an unholy nightmare because people were scrambling for, um, for classes. She said, I have a degree in American history. I was taking U.S. Lit. I was doing this, that, and the other thing. And consequently, nobody, quote, nobody wanted to mess with graduate students. So if you're looking for a program, look for somebody that's interested in what you're interested in and see if they're going to be accessible to you. And if they're going to be accessible, there are different levels of access. They can be jolly good colleagues. They can be jolly good people. They can be fun-loving men, fun-loving women. But if they're not going to, um, if they're not going to give you good feedback on what you turn in, you need someone who's going to walk you through a program that if you write something good, they're going to tell you. If you write something horrible, they need to set you down and go, look, you're messing up. Don't do this. Do this. This is good. This is better. This is the path. Walk you in it. That's the kind of leadership that you need. And um, those folks are not always real easy to find. Now, I was fortunate. I stumbled into it. I was like Professor O'Quinn. I didn't know what to ask, and uh, God in his providence was good to me, and he set me up with some really good people at the University of Kentucky, and, and I was fortunate. I, I learned a lot of really good lessons on the fly, and uh, they were positive. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, a little bit about uh, balance of life then. Uh, Dr. Quinn, you mentioned that you were married during your graduate studies and had your first uh, child during, while you were ABD. How did you balance all of that? And then uh, maybe some of you can share, uh, the two of you can share from your experience, in, both in, uh, at the level when you were getting your PhD or your education, and then at the academic level, because I know you've had uh, children since then as well. So um, maybe discuss that. Okay. Yeah. Um, how do you balance that? <laughs> this is something we're all still learning on, right? Working on. Um, the way that's worked for me, and I know it's going to be different for different people, um, one thing that's important as a Christian woman is what does your husband think about what you're doing? That's important. Um, we have always had, my husband is associate dean of the college and a history professor as well, so we're both in academia. That has been for us a very friendly environment, family-friendly environment, I feel like, because of the flexibility that academia allows. There are definitely things I feel like that I've been able to do or that he has been able to do with children that if we had had a nine-to-five year-round office job, it would have been much more difficult, especially in the younger years when you're sort of working um, early on. You don't have really have um, much tenure or position yet. Um, so flexibility in academia has been great for us. And so one of the things that helps both of us find balance um, is that we never schedule our classes at the same time. <laughs> for example, so if there's for example, so if there's some kind of parent emergency, um, one of us is almost always available. And that doesn't mean it's just the easiest thing. Sometimes we have other things we need to be doing, but there's someone available so you, you don't have this terrible emergency on your hand. So that's one way. Also, I want to point out I've always worked part-time. I'm an adjunct professor, so I usually teach um, one or two classes a semester, one of those now online, and that's a whole other topic. I think that opens up a lot, of, a world of opportunity for men and women, maybe women especially with children at home, is online teaching. Um, so that's been very helpful. I'd be, I would have a little bit harder time to speaking to, um, you know, if one of you is in a um, regular sort of year-round job, you know, eight to five type job, how you would balance that might be a little more difficult, but you would want to think about that ahead of time. Um, so for me, when I was when I started graduate school, I was single. Um, the whole the whole time I was working on my master's degree, I was single. I got married after my first semester working on my PhD, and our first son was born ten days after I defended my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> so that worked out. That was the God's grace there. Um, when I was single, and this was really true both single and married, and I, I tell my students this from time to time, I am truly lazy at heart. I like downtime. I like to just, you know, watch a movie. I love sitting on the couch. It is one of my favorite things to do. Um, so even as a single person and as a married person, I definitely scheduled my, my work time. I, I learned kind of early on to treat to treat graduate work like a job and so I had certain hours in the day that I would work um, and I would I would work hard but I wouldn't work I mean maybe if I had a test to study for or some something major I would work a little bit later usually <clears throat> around six or seven I would stop working and I would have the rest of the evening free on the weekends I, I really tried to guard my weekends um, as a single person I wanted to just have that downtime to let my brain relax and kind of just have some off time. Now I would work a little bit on the weekends. As a married person, I really tried to protect Saturday and Sunday. Like I would I might work till 7:30 on Friday night, but it would be so that I could have the rest of Friday night off, 
we could spend, my husband and I could spend Saturday and Sunday together. Um, so I, I really would treat it like a job, and that has helped. And um, my husband, he has his master's degree, so he was very understanding of what it takes to succeed in graduate school. He is a civil engineer, and he currently works for the town of Wake Forest. He has worked for consulting firms in the private sector, but now he works for the town. Um, but thankfully, and by God's grace, his job is very flexible. It is, you know, an, an eight to five job. But unless he has a meeting or unless he has something going on, if there's, if we need him, if the boys needed him, if I were teaching a class and they're getting sick at school and somebody's got to go get the, you know, get the little boy who's sick, he can usually get away and do that. So there has been great flexibility in, in his job, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and I started out teaching part-time, teaching one class a semester and then two and then three. <clears throat> and so last, a year ago, fall, was my first semester as a full-time employee here. So that has been an adjustment, balancing full-time work. Um, and my kids are older. I have a middle schooler and a high schooler. In many ways, that makes life easier because they can do a lot of things for themselves. You know, they, they take their own baths, they get themselves to bed, they brush their own teeth, all that sort of thing. But they don't drive. And so as children get older, they're really involved in a lot of things. And so finding the time, okay, how are we going to get this one to this place and then get the other one to the other place? Um, but I'm, I'm thankful that we live and both of us work really close to home and the schools are close by so it, it's it's worked out but it is a balancing act well I'm not sure exactly how we balance that I think dr. miles's advice is really good if you can treat your program like a job that's great it was impossible for us um, we would normally um, We'd put in a full day, and then nighttime was pretty much for, you know, my wife and my little boy. And when David went to bed, uh, my wife was ready to go to sleep as well, and I would normally go to Andy and Robert's place, and we would work on history until the wee-wee hours of the morning, and that was a pattern of life. My wife sitting there nodding, yes, yeah, she remembers those <laughs> days. So, yeah, you put in your full day, you have some family time at night, and then we would talk about history until the wee hours of the morning. That kind of goes back to one of the programs that you're looking for. You learn an awful lot. You probably learn more from your own graduate school colleagues uh, than you do your professors or basically your library time just by working out your own thinking on particular issues along the way and I think that's really important you never know that's always a bit of a gamble on any program that you go into because you can't know those people ahead of time but balancing um, all I can say is my schedule was a lot more flexible than my wife's so we tried to plan around her schedule because I could make mine fit and I'm an insomniac anyway so it really didn't matter if it didn't fit fine she goes to bed and I go back to work so that's kind of the way that it worked for us you know if you work around the clock it's not a problem <laughs> if you don't need sleep there's no balancing problems what you're saying if you don't get sleep you don't that's get right sleep. needing it's one thing yeah, getting it right. is something else because once the kids come along all bets are off yeah. <laughs> 
I would add one thing too that this we are speaking of that reminded me of. I um, decided when I was um, a young mom, and our oldest son is now 15, um, and I was working on my dissertation his first year of life. I'd done all my research, so the traveling was done, um, and so that was great to have, just have all my material there. Um, the internet played a role, but this was 15 years ago. The internet was not playing near as large of a role as it does now. There just wasn't near as much online, so I was glad that that part was done. Um, but I just remember thinking, I'm going to have to have some child care. There's just, there's no way. Around. I mean, the idea you're going to write a dissertation during nap time is a joke. That's just not going to happen, right? You're not going to do hardly anything during nap time, actually. Um, so I just think as a woman, you have to be open. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of ourselves that maybe men don't have of themselves, and that is that you will be able to do everything. I just we had we worked at a small Williams Baptist College, a small college, um, one of the Southern Baptist colleges at that time. They had a little child care center on campus um, for students and faculty. It was mainly students of children, I'm sorry, children of students who would come there. And we, I determined that my son was going to have to go. He went two or sometimes three mornings a week so that I could work on my dissertation and finish it during that first year. So that, to me, was a decision that we just, I remember walking him in the stroller one day thinking, this is just not going to work. Either I won't do the dissertation or we ha I have to do some child care and that helped me balance so I knew that when he was there those two mornings a week dishes in the sink laundries in the dryer and you work on that project whatever you're working on so maybe that's some practical advice that would be helpful too and that way in other times I didn't feel that always hanging over my head or feel stressed out that I wasn't getting some project done yeah. do you guys want to add anything else or comment yeah it was so different for us because my wife and I had been married 10 years whenever I went to graduate school, and we were told by three experts we were not supposed to have children, so we thought, no big deal, do your thing, be done with it, and so forth. And then about halfway through the program, we're about to have a baby. One of us was about to have a baby. <laughs> the baby I about had was metaphorical. What in the world is going on here? And so I remember the day that she came back, she's sitting right there, as a matter of fact, next to Heather, my wife, and I remember the day that we were standing in our kitchen at that time, and she had come back from the doctor, and he had confirmed, you know, that she was going to have a baby. So when we stopped crying, I looked at her, and I said, straight up, do we finish or do we stop right here because I need to go get a job? You're calm, and I'll, I'll let you make that decision because once I walk away from it, I'm not coming back. What do you think? She said, you've come too far to stop now hurry up <laughs> and so yeah so I was done if I hadn't gotten bad advice but I'm over I'm, I used to be so bitter about it but I tell you what I'm over it now I got done in about four and a half years so yeah it that was one reason I was at Andy and Roberts till the middle of the night you know just because there was an urgency to get it done but if you have children or if you're planning on getting married and you might have children in the middle of the program listen to what Dr. O'Quinn says we would have had an awful time if we did not have Miss Jerry, uh, Jerry Burke, a woman from church who watched David. Uh, I've always taken very early classes. I got to the University of Kentucky about uh, 7.20, 7.30. I love 8 o'clock classes. Get them out of the way. Get yourself in the library and get yourself finished. And when I was done with that, I went to Miss Jerry's and I picked David up and we were waiting for her whenever she got home. Godly woman, godly environment safe environment all of those things are really important for your kids and that's a good word amanda thank you 
Yeah, and I would I would just piggyback on that. I think that is exactly right. But the way Amanda said, let go of that Wonder Woman complex. It's ridiculous. It, it's not real. Nobody does that. Let it be okay to hire childcare. Let it be okay to have frozen pizza for dinner. That you can live. I've done it on frozen pizza. Um, you know, quick spaghetti. You can live with dirty clothes. Everything doesn't have to be done. It's okay to adjust to a different standard of living for a little while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If they want to get washed that bad, they'll walk to the machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so. Follow that. Yeah. Thanks. No transition there. Um, uh, so, anyways, um, what are some of the unique challenges and opportunities that be, uh, being a woman uh, kind of a, I should not have tried to do this from memory. <laughs> Let me go back to my list of questions. What are some of the unique challenges and opportunities for women in PhD work in academia? I'll start with that one. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Thanks in part to the American feminist movement, I think folks have never been more sensitive to gender equity than they are now. And uh, naturally, you know, I'm not going to fall in line behind everything that Gloria Steinem does or says or any other feminist for that matter. But I think they did call attention to the fact that there were segments of academia, if not all of academia a generation ago, that was little more than a boys club or an old men's club, however you want to look at it. So in broaching the issues of sexism uh, along the way, I, I think that they have diversified the workplace in many ways that are very healthy. Uh, perspective, if all you have is a one-sided gender perspective, I think that that can pose certain challenges. So I think now, even though the job market is tough, and I've got this standard speech that I give anybody that says, you know, I think I want to do a PhD, I tell them, think again, because the job market's hard, it's difficult, and what have you. If that's exactly what you want to do, there's a lot of hard work, you know, we can help you do that, but you just got to know you're swimming against the tide. Uh, one of our graduates is, uh, he's ABD at Florida State right now with a very good advisor. He's got a very, uh, a very good dissertation topic. It will likely be published along the way whenever he's finished with it. But he's on the job market and he's having a very tough time of it. Um, there are other avenues that you can apply your Ph.D. in. And I would point out that if you have a Ph.D. in some kind of theological studies, you can also pick up a degree in library science and library work is a rewarding uh, field. You can do editorial work. If you're a good writer, uh, you, you can work for a lot of presses, either as a freelance editor or you can be hired on to do editorial work. That's pretty rewarding. And largely what I'm trying to say is what you do with your PhD largely depends on how you use it and how you market yourself. What was the question exactly again? Though? About in the PhD uh, program itself, special challenges? Uh, PhD or? and academia. What, what and are academia. some... Uh, opportunities and challenges okay um i have never i i never feel like i if I, there was a lot of sexism i didn't know about it at the secular university where i was i all my professors were male um maybe there was one or two women at that time there are quite a few more now and there was a st statistic i was thinking about um in thinking about this panel and i wish i looked it up but i just didn't have a chance to do it but if you consider the number of individuals who are getting degrees today, um, isn't it a majority of women? I know it is in the arts and sciences. In the humanities, it's a majority of women for undergraduate. 
And for things like PhDs in history, which I am in English, um, it's approaching a majority as well, is it not? If I just noticed in reading the literature a lot of times, you talk about um, people who've gotten their PhDs that the department wants to announce, it is usually at least half women. So that's a situation that has really changed a lot just even in the last 15 or so years since I was in graduate school. I didn't feel like I faced a lot um, of, of a unique challenge being female because it was already just pretty much accepted, even though most of my professors were male. I didn't feel a lack of access, but again, I was at a secular university. So there may be considerations, and I know you have probably some examples of this, considerations that professors at a seminary may have about meeting one-on-one with a female student that my secular university professors just did not have, right? It just wasn't there, uh, not uh, an issue for them. Maybe sometimes it should have been an issue for them, but it wasn't an issue for them. Um, So that might be a challenge you would face, I think, in a seminary setting more so than in a a secular setting. Yeah, I would would agree with that. My experience, my education was was mostly in the 90s, a little bit in the 80s. Um, but my experience at NC State, I had a good number of female professors in the English department. I pro- I'd have to go back and count. Maybe more um, women professors than men professors. I ended up, my first academic job was as a research assistant to a professor. Um, she was a woman. And I really think that that did encourage me to think, I could do this. She's doing it. I see someone, she wasn't just like me. She was from England. She had a strong British accent. She had very blonde hair. I mean, we weren't alike alike, um, but she was a woman. And, I, and that encouraged me, like, okay, this is, this is something that, that we can do. My people can do this. Um, when I continued in graduate school at NC State, I was a research assistant and a teaching assistant for Walt Wolfram, who's still there. He's a great professor, very encouraging to all students, men and women alike, um, hiring students on his grants, and that was a great experience. I never felt like I was treated in any way differently from the male students. And then when I went to Texas, I worked um, for Richard Meyer. Most of the professors in the linguistics department at Texas at that time were men. I think there were only two women when I started, and then a third one was hired while I was there. So most of my professors there were men, but again, very encouraging. I was a research assistant um, and a teaching assistant there as well, and and felt very supported and encouraged, and got good direction and and good advice. So so that was good. One kind of side note, and this is probably it probably does date me, um, but there was a time in academia where it seemed like to be a woman in academia and to be respected, you couldn't wear makeup, you couldn't dress nicely, you had to look a certain part. Um, and I, I don't feel like that's the case anymore. I don't, I don't feel like you have to look any part at this, at this point, which is nice. You can just be yourself. Okay. Well, Dr. O'Quinn, you touched on one of my other questions, so I'm going to ask it. I'm going to read this question so I don't forget it because it's a lengthy one. Um, Some faculty uh, here have chosen to set up relational boundaries with students of the opposite gender. Uh, These decisions are made for noble purposes, and I really want to stress that they're noble purposes. Um, But an unintended consequence is that students have difficult uh, different levels of access to faculty. And because a significant majority of our faculty are male, this often becomes a hardship for women students who seek to discuss class matters outside of the classroom. 
What advice would you give a woman uh, student who desires greater access to professors than they have been offered? Also, what are some ways that they could find either other professors or other outlets so that they could flourish in their education? Well, I think one thing, and it's what we're doing right now, let's talk about this. So my advice to a student who is in a class and her male professor says, and, I, and I've heard students say this, but they're talking about the past when they re will report it to me, that you know I, I took a, a class. They don't ever tell me which professor it is, and that's fine. Um, but I took a class, and the professor required students to meet with him to discuss the research paper that's due, the term paper, at the end of the semester. But he said he will not meet with the, the women students. I would say... Send, okay, if he's not going to meet with you, send him an email. Ask how you can meet. Um, if you continue to get stonewalled, I would certainly go to the dean above him and say, this is, this is a requirement. This is, this is an opportunity that the students are being given, but I'm being singled out because I'm a woman and not given this opportunity. I think this is a conversation that needs to happen and needs to happen often and loudly. I would just say that I, I can't imagine that really <laughs> as a graduate student, but okay. Um, yeah, that, that's unacceptable. It's just unacceptable that if that, if that you need to speak, a professor would need to speak with the higher-ups at the institution to see is this even an acceptable stance to take. I think from what I know of them now, they would say no. They may help you find creative ways to do that in a way that you both feel comfortable because I do think our professors are in ministry. Their reputations are important. Many of them are pastors. They're, I mean, we're talking about professors at a seminary, right? Mm -hmm. They're training people to be pastors. Their reputations are important as well. So I don't dismiss that concern. I'm also married to a professor. I don't dismiss that concern. Um, but you would need to find a way that you could fulfill the requirements of a professor to a student, or you would need to say that I can't have students. <laughs> I guess, yeah. you know, or I couldn't have research students, certainly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think accessibility depends on how you look at it um, you're supposed to have I mean we are we are supposed to have office hours so if you want to come and talk about something that's going on you can come during office hours and if those office hours are not convenient by all means you can make an appointment so if you want access you should be able to get it um, can't speak to a situation where someone deliberately denies you that access. I'm, I'm kind of like Professor Oak. I just can't imagine that. But if it is that way, uh, I think that is something that we do absolutely have to talk about. I'll put it to you like this. I can only speak from my perspective, but if you're going to be my student, you jolly well better anticipate access because if you don't come to me, I will find you. You will work hard. And, uh, and you will earn your degree or you will not be my student. That's just all there is to it. In my philosophy of, of doing graduate work, there's a relationship that you develop. You don't take on every person that wants to be a student because there's a lot that's involved in it. A professor that does it right invests a lot in a student and they expect you in turn to work very hard. So, uh, yeah, it's unconscionable to think that you're going to make those kind of demands and then never give anybody any feedback. You're wasting your time with somebody who does not give you feedback, some sort of criticism, constructive or otherwise along the way, somebody that does not uh, meet you somewhere in between. Uh, they're doing you a great disservice, and I'd find another advisor if I was you. You know, one area that I would mention, though, that's... So certainly on an official level, like meeting with a professor during office hours, that that's something that obviously they need to have an open-door policy on that. Um, 
The issue, though, of more informal mentoring, I can see that being a possible barrier for women, and maybe that it would be that, you know, our institution um, is sensitive to that, and we ha there are female professors here that maybe as a female PhD or graduate student, you would need to find a female professor that could work with you a little bit more closely in mentoring. I don't know. It's difficult to speak to that. I mean, I remember in graduate school, um, sometimes the professors and some students going out, and this was a secular university, to bars after class or on Friday, and I, I never did that because I was a Christian, really, not so much because I was just female, but I don't know that I would have felt comfortable in that scenario. That just puts you in a whole different sort of non-professional scenario that I didn't want to be in with, with those individuals. So um, there is something to be said for the it's not going to be exactly the same as a male student. It's just not. You're not male. And you can, you know, that's fine. There are many advantages to that, right? But um, in working with male professors, you might want to consistently seek out a female mentor that can talk to you about getting through a program, getting through a dissertation, um, teaching at a college level or something like that. Okay. All right. I, I want to give time for some questions. So if you guys are listening, we're going to have maybe about 10 minutes. Uh, some questions, but there is one uh, time for you guys to ask questions. But one question that I do want to ask Dr. Harper um, is, as a as males at this institution, we have a few out here. How can we encourage women well in their academic institutions uh, or academic pursuits? Well, as I normally tell anybody that will listen, um, if you shut yourself off from the female population here on campus, you're really limiting yourself from working with some of our very best and brightest students. And I've always wanted to keep that particular door open because, you know, I've been blessed with some fantastic students along the way. We were talking about a couple of them who have graduated and gone on. I don't know if any of you knew Jennifer Booth or not, but Jen was one of the brightest people that I've ever known, secular or non-secular. And she's now the registrar at Columbia International, uh, of incredibly bright woman. Christy Burgess uh, was, was just wonderful. Both of them graded for me. I like to work with female graders. Just edgy and countercultural, I guess. But I, I like that opportunity because somebody needs to give women an opportunity like that, and that doesn't bother me at all. I'm going to pick on Heather because she's here. Uh, Heather is one of my students now, tremendously bright young lady. It's a joy to work with her, and I just I find it a, a pleasant alternative uh, to working with men. I sometimes wonder if men are afraid to work with me. Uh, that may be true. I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, it's just the way that it is. Uh, don't plan on changing a whole lot for that. I mean, at one level, the work is the work, and you either do it or you don't. So I have a very pragmatic attitude about that. But in terms of giving women opportunities, I think faculty can initiate conversations. I think they can ask good questions of female students. If you've got an opening for a grader and a woman is inclined and she's capable of grading for you, I think that's a marvelous opportunity. It, it could give the opportunity to say, hey, I can do this. My, my peeps can do this, you know? Or you may go look at it and go, are you kidding me? This is what you have to do for a living? And you run screaming into the night. Uh, I've, it's happened. So, you know, you just never know. But I think that in terms of... Uh, I jotted something down. I started not to say it, but who cares? Um, I saw that question, and I thought, yeah, that's coming. And uh, the one thing I would say is that you can encourage women if you'll treat them like colleagues instead of conquests. 
I know you make of that whatever you want to, but if you'll look at gender as a less of an issue and you're looking at people in terms of people's sake and you're looking at intellect for intellect's sake, that goes a long way to tearing down a lot of barriers that I think that are erected that really shouldn't be. Thank you. Do you guys like to comment? Well, I would just, something that I had been thinking about as we've read these questions um, and thought about them, and just to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, I encourage all people, faculty, students, men, women, it doesn't matter, to look at each other like individuals, like unique individuals, humans. Don't look at me and say she's a woman. Don't look at me and say she's a white woman. Just look at me as a person. I'm a person. I'm a neighbor, and you're commanded to love your neighbor. Um, Don't be afraid of me because I'm a woman. I'm a person. Just treat me like a person. (laughs) Okay, so one question I usually save always for last, even in most of our discussions, but what advice would you give a young woman who's considering PhD work now? Like, what's the one thing you would want to tell yourself uh, when you started your work or what the biggest piece of advice with that you would give someone in the current climate that you see in academia? Choose your topic wisely. You gotta figure, yeah, it, it, genderless, it, it really doesn't matter. You're going into a program and you're going to spend the next eight to 10, maybe 12 years of your life wrapped around this topic. Now, this is kind of on a secular track, but most people who go into a PhD program in a state school or in a Ivy League school or whatever are looking to step into academia. Your dissertation is probably going to spin off your first article. Your first publications are going to come from that research. Very likely your first book is going to be rooted and grounded in your dissertation. If you spend five years in your PhD program, you may rightfully expect five to seven years beyond that before that dissertation ever sees the light of day in publication. That's 12 years start to finish. You better be real happy with that topic and it better be something that you're really interested in. Otherwise, you're going to lose momentum right in the middle of it and sometimes your interest in what you're doing is the thing that keeps you going. That would be my advice. Choose your topic well. That's good. Yeah, that's very, that is very good advice. Um, one thing that I'm trying to think of specific advice for women, because everything that's first of all coming to mind, I think could go to men or women. Um, probably specifically for women, perhaps, or maybe anyone who's considering going into the ministry, is I would advise you, if, if at all possible, that you not go into debt. And I don't, oh, maybe wow. that's not a possibility these days yeah. for a PhD. I don't know. Yeah. I was able to graduate debt free. Yep. My husband did have some debt that we paid off. and praise the Lord, we're done with that. So we were able to pay it off relatively early on as academic debt goes. Um, I would just consider that you really paint yourself into a corner as a woman if you have racked up debt when you get a degree. What family choices are you going to be able to make? Are they going to be driven by this debt that you owe? Because it's not, I think you have a six months grace period and after that, that's it. You have to start making those payments. Um, So you don't want to, I would just really consider very carefully if I wanted to go into debt, even if it meant changing the program, stopping for a while, working for a while, maybe even choosing something else. That would be a, one piece of advice I would give. Awesome word. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, I, I agree with both of them. Um, as you are, you know, choosing your topic, and, you know, in a, as we're speaking to Christians, this is not something anyone in secular universities ever told me. I was never advised to pray about my topic. Like, mm. never even occurred to me. 
Um, but we can do that. Um, we can pray about this topic. And the earlier you understand or, or get an idea of what your topic may be, the more you can use various classes, write your papers for those classes with a slant towards that topic, those papers could end up being chapters in your dissertation. If you, if you know that topic early enough and you can always slant it that way. Um, in addition to that, uh, what Amanda was saying earlier about understanding the time constraints of a given program. So as women, we do have considerations that are, that are different from men. So um, if you are a woman, if you are married, if you're thinking about getting married, if you're thinking about having children, how will that fit in with this program? And you have to consider things like, how old am I? How long do I think this is going to take? How long do most students in this program take? And there are programs across the country that you finish your PhD in five or six years. There are programs where you finish in 10 to 12 years. That, that makes a difference. How much time can I take off? Um, and even if you think you're a superwoman, if you haven't let go of that yet, um, you never know what's in store for you. Um, and when, when I was pregnant with Zach, I was sick. 24 hours a day for eight months in trying to write my dissertation. That was not fun. I, I couldn't will myself out of that. Um, so you just never know how, it, how it's going to turn out. So just being informed about those sorts of possibilities I think is important for women especially. You look like you have something to say? No? Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a landmark day for library talks. We've been doing this for a year and we actually have created time for questions from the audience. I've intended to do that at every library talk that I've led, and I have not accomplished that yet. So if you guys have any questions, um, now's the time to ask. And do I need to uh, take the mic to them, or are we going to, how do you want to, okay, repeat the question, that'll work. Rob, way back there in the back. So, uh, so who wants to handle that one? So, what were you going to repeat it? Did you? Uh, yeah. So, the question was, uh, what are our views on uh, women teaching uh, Bible and theology in seminaries? Oh my! Look at the time. <laughs> I think we all have a twelve thirty class that, uh, that we really need to get to early. I'll just go ahead and say it: we're not a church. And I am open to having that discussion. And the thing that troubles me about where we are as evangelicals right now is we've gotten really good at telling women what they cannot do, but we seem close to a discussion on what women can do. And I think that your question uh, is, is a good question, and I think it's a timely question. I'm open to that as far as that goes. We don't baptize people. We don't uh, ordain people. We don't observe the ordinances. We are not a, covenant fel a covenanted fellowship to uh, go to, you know, to, to covenant together to worship in, in anything else that a church does. And I think that whenever you create an organization, frankly, a seminary, there's no biblical mandate to build seminaries. And whenever you do that, is that something you can do? Sure, of course you can. However, I don't think it's proper to take what the church is stipulated to do or regulations that are specifically applied to a church context and then say, okay, we're going to transport that and we're going to put it over here on this other, or, uh, on this other institution. I'm open to it myself. Amen. <laughs> um, that's not, you know, it's coming out of a secular background. I have a Ph.D. in history. I never considered ministry 
um, in that regard. Um, so it's not, it really was not an issue I'd given any thought to at all until we came here, and I haven't given it as much thought, um, I guess, if I would if I was teaching those classes. Um, I tend to be accepting of the seminary position that there are questions about women teaching theology. Um, so I'm not sure I'd be in agreement with the panel necessarily on that. If you're teaching, you're talking about training men who are going to be pastors, um, that there are some issues there. I don't think it's, I don't think it's just cut and dry that, as cut and dried as that we're not at church. I do think there's some issues to keep in mind. I have taught a class um, in, in the seminary, Women in Church History, and it is a history class, but as in any history, you get into every aspect of life because you're talking mm-hmm. about human history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you do, we do get into theological questions. And so sometimes I would say even in that class, having it's interesting when we started that here, we've been here now 12 years, the first two or three times I taught that class, class men were not allowed to take it. They just weren't allowed to enroll. enroll. Um, and the last two or three times I've taught that class, men have enrolled. And I think it's interesting I never got a memo saying that men were going to or not going to enroll. They just showed up in class one day. So I don't know what exactly went on there. Um, but sometimes we do get into those issues. It's not always comfortable. Maybe it's not as comfortable for me because I don't have a seminary background. So teaching hermeneutics is not something I feel that comfortable doing anyway. Um, but it is an issue that's going to come up, especially in those classes. Um, I haven't had an issue since we've been here um, with the seminary. What is the seminary policy? Women do not teach theology classes, correct? I actually, Do, what is the policy? Actually, have Did we you know stated that? that? Ask the question. Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> Do we state that I don't that know anywhere? for sure. Yeah, I had an experience. That, that women do not teach theology yeah, classes, correct? They don't teach theology in biblical studies, correct? In biblical studies, okay. Especially in the graduate. Yeah. I had an experience. It's been a few years ago. There was a, a Bible translation program here. Um, it's actually how I got my foot in the door. Not that I'm a Bible translator, but my degree's in linguistics. And so they needed someone to teach phonetics, phonology, semantics, pragmatics. And so I was teaching those classes. And in the um, semantics and pragmatics, that was one class together. In teaching that, you, we how could we not talk about the Bible? There was no, there was really no way not to do it. These guys, there were, there were only four students in that class. They were all men, but that was their desire. They wanted to be Bible translators. And I was very honest. I'm like, I am not a scholar of the Bible. That is my degrees in linguistics. And we can talk about these things and we can talk about, you know, what does, what does a word really mean? And how do we know what that word really means? Um, but does dog in English mean the same thing that the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for dog meant? And we could talk about how it didn't. Often I would turn theological questions back on the students and I would just say, look, I don't know. Ask your theology professors, um, but but this is a good question. This is worth struggling with. Um, so I think it is, um, like Amanda was saying, it is almost impossible to teach here in, in any class, um, whether it's British Lit or whatever, and not have some theological discussion. Um, but do I personally want to teach a Bible class? No, because I'm not qualified. <laughs> I'll say this about both of my colleagues, but especially Amanda O'Quinn, it would be a sad day if men were prohibited from studying with this woman because she's a fabulous teacher, incredibly bright, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad they're taking your class. I have directed them your way. Um, Maybe I have you to thank. uh, (laughs) You may have, and then some of them have looked at me and they say, I'm afraid of that woman. (laughs) Were they related to me or no? It wasn't my husband. 
No, 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 no. Uh, your your reputation for red ink precedes you. Do, uh, listen, and that's something. If you're looking at a program, don't fear red ink. Red ink is your friend. If a, if a professor writes on a paper that says you can say this better, believe it. You can say it better. Take it for what it is. It's good. It's helpful. And don't shy away from people just because they're tough. And, you know, as, a, as your question would relate to a female student, though, considering Ph.D. studies, I just think that you just need to find out the answer to that question. If you agree with the position of the seminary you're considering or the institution about the role of women in teaching biblical studies or theology, if you don't agree, I would consider you to – I would – urge you to consider a different institution rather than you know coming to sort of fight that battle. I just don't know that it would really benefit yeah. you. You might not get through the program. Yeah. I would just consider that you want to be in agreement with your institution on that. Okay. Well, um, I'll just add to that. Uh, oh, was there a question? Okay. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll just add one thing to that, that I have personally benefited from the writing of two women. One woman's uh, book, her fantastic book on um, one, you will never read it. Uh, the representation of speech in Hebrew narrative. Okay, it has 150 pages on lay more, so uh, which means to say. So that'll be boring to everyone. But it's a fantastically written book. Uh, her name's Cynthia Miller. She's one of my favorite Old Testament authors. And then you also have Adele Berlin, who writes on uh, poetics in Hebrew and narrative. And so those two women are actually people that I go to and respect. Uh, you've got. I forget her first name, but J. Peth, who writes on Chronicles and things like that. So as a student of Old Testament, I definitely read the books of, of women. I find their, their insight helpful. Um, and so uh, if I were to stand with uh, Dr. Harper on that personally, it would be that if I read from them, um, I would definitely sit under their teaching as well. Um, so now your question. I, I have no hard and fast data on that, so I can't speak to it. I think we probably – I think you're right. I think it is growing, uh, but I, I could not give you specifics. My impression is that you're right. It is growing. Okay. Uh, so just for our recording purposes, the question was uh, basically what are the uh, percentages of, of female students uh, in our Ph.D. programs? There seems to be an increase in EDD and, and just from – as an observer, I would agree with that. Uh, but what about the research PhDs? And um, as, uh, yeah, so that, that was the question. One thing that I think women have to consider too, and this is going to affect our numbers, is um, what are the job prospects for a PhD from a seminary? You know, what are the, from a conservative evangelical seminary um, that generally doesn't accept the idea of women in the pastorate and the lead pastorship position, which is the primary paid position in Southern Baptist churches, I'm pretty sure, right? The only one in many of them. Um, that that's going to affect the number of women who seek out degrees, I think, as much as anything possibly. So maybe helping women see other avenues for their degrees, um, if they want to pursue, would be something we can focus on as well. Okay. Yes. It never occurred to me to look at a seminary, honestly. It never occurred. I, I thought that only pastors went to seminary. I, I just didn't know. I, I had no idea seminaries offered anything but a degree in preaching. Um, and I was interested in linguistics. It, I didn't know seminaries even knew that word. So, <laughs> so I didn't even think about it. I was ignorant and uneducated. 
I didn't consider it either. I wanted to do, I did um, Soviet American cultural relations under Khrushchev <laughs> was my, was my <laughs> dissertation topic. So that was not something, the seminary didn't come to mind. I just, I was considering just a straight history degree. Um, and I'm glad now because I feel like I have more options in a way mm-hmm. for me, but yep. it may not be true. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just wanting to have done something different than many people who are going to seminary might want to do. Make it three in a row. I thought briefly about going to seminary and then rejected the whole idea because, number one, I was I was really interested in studying the American South and um, of the of the places that I wanted to go. I wound up going to the University of Kentucky for a number of reasons. I didn't understand the providence of God in the way that He was working. But my wife's from Lexington. We lived right around the corner from you know Grandma and Grandpa. What a blessing. I mean, we graduated debt-free, and that was largely because of my in-laws. Thank God for them. I told you earlier, you know, I stumbled into a lot of very good information that had I gone to Texas, which I thought about at Austin, believe it or not, or Vanderbilt or any other place like that, uh, I don't know. It might not have turned out as good as it did, but God was watching over me in that. So uh, I, I did not even really seriously think about going to seminary. Never entered my mind, really, seriously. Okay, I think we have time for one more question. So, Rebecca. Um, how did you all, since you were both married when you I remember vividly sitting in the chair one night and coming across something that some historian somewhere said that was just remarkably stupid. And I read the paragraph out loud, and my wife was washing dishes, and she stood there very patiently looking at me. She's shaking her head, too. She remembers this. And she said, and I quote, this is one of those Kairos moments. She said, I'm glad there are people like you that can read stuff like that and tell people like me how dumb people really are and then went right back to washing the dishes and I thought well there you go but now the other side of that coin is if you're very careful about it and if you use patience as a weapon you can turn them into nerds too and that's exactly what happened and that's the way that she is now I no longer fear the day that I bring in a book that I paid like three times more than I should have for it because she put in an order to Christian book distributors that was even more than that that we'll see later on so yeah me book sue book I mean you know whatever so sometimes patience Padawan sometimes it just takes time and you know uh, but uh, it, it worked out okay for us, you know. And, and in terms of incorporating them, uh, the, the graduate students that we had at the University of Kentucky, uh, some of them were single, some of them were married, and we tended to congregate together. We hung out with each other, we barbecued with each other, we partied with each other, and our spouses, no matter who was involved you know, in the program, our spouses were always included in those things whenever we got together, and that was really very helpful, very my, my situation was similar. We, we did a lot of social events, the linguistics department um, at UT. We, the professors, the students, spouses, um, if, if people were married, and, and there were probably about, I don't know, probably not quite half, maybe a third of the students were married. Um, but I, I remember thinking, 
my husband made my professors seem more human. He wasn't afraid of them. He, he, you know, he didn't, he wasn't trying to be on his best behavior. I mean, he was because I told him to. Um, <laughs> but, but he wasn't intimidated by them at all. He would have regular, everyday conversations with him. Like, oh, you just talked to him. What did you guys talk about? He's like, football. Oh. <laughs> he talks about football? Um, so it, it, it helped, like, humanize some of the professors, that, the, especially the ones that really intimidated me. They became more human. Um, but we would just... We just talked, you know, over, over dinner. I think it also helped. Scott and I started dating our senior years in college. So I was just becoming interested in linguistics. So I was kind of learning about it and able to, to talk to him about it as I learned. So he kind of was in a position to sort of keep up a little bit. Um, and then he talks to me about cool ditches because he's an engineer and I'm like, oh yes, that is a lovely ditch. <laughs> Our position is a little bit different. We met in graduate schools. So we're both history PhDs. Um, so we get each other in that regard, I guess. Although our topic matter was very different. I was Soviet American cultural relations and Russian history. He's U.S. Southern history. Um, so I haven't read his dissertation and he hasn't read mine. And I don't know if we ever will or not. Sorry, I'm sorry. We've been too busy. We had kids. Maybe when our kids move out, we'll read each other's dissertations, but probably not before. Okay, well, I want to respect uh, these guys' time, but thank you, Dr. Miles, Dr. O'Quinn, and Dr. Harper, for being here. Let's give them a round of applause.